we enter into the 4th of July week. And as we do so, we have much going on in our country. Uh, we just spent time in prayer for our service. Turn to Acts 19. We just spent time for prayer, in prayer for our service in our prayer slash counseling slash student ministries office that's nine by nine. More stuff happens in that small space. And uh, as we finished, it just occurred to me that no other time in my lifetime have I seen this nation so fragmented. No other time. It is a precarious time. And what is amazing is how we're entering into 4th of July week. We have all this that is happening. And your pastor actually has to speak to politics today. So pray for me. Please pray for me. But I actually, I actually endeavor, and, and throughout the week I have been excited about where the text takes us today. Because one of the reasons we're going through Acts is to see that nothing really has changed other than Christ came and created the perfect redemptive plan for us to be free from the effects of sin and death. Amen? But mankind has not changed. We will not change until all things are completed. We will always struggle with the idea of sin and righteousness. And today, what we're looking at is the challenge of our society and where values enter in. The message is idle threats. Now usually that's spelled I-D-L-E. Today it's spelled I-D-O-L. Idle threats. So let me pray because we're going to need the Lord to help guide us through all of this uh, as we enter into a tumultuous situation in the town of Ephesus that, boy, I think you're going to be able to see that this could be the town of Concord, California. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you guide our thinking today, guide our hearts. Let our hearts be unified in one accord because of you and your righteousness. Let your righteousness prevail because it is good, it is worthy. In a world that is filled with too many things to mention that are adversarial, towards the message of the gospel and towards your goodness. But we understand the reality of this world. We understand the reality that the enemy is constantly working. We also understand the reality that things have been written and that you are reigning. That you do provide the righteous path. You do provide wisdom. You have set the tone. And so I ask that your spirit and your word would unify us today as we get to open up the pages of Scripture and look through a window into a city that was in turmoil. And what resulted? And what can we do? And where, where can we apply this today? Thank you, Father. Amen. Oh, this is one of my favorite things to do. What is that? These are a few of my favorites. I'm going to sing everything today. It's a musical. Um, I am going to go to Facebook. Oh, you're all so serious. Oh, uh, let's see. Some good friends of mine in a Dodger game. That's, that's okay. Uh, Sam Bedros commenting on World Cup. That's okay. Another shot of a guy with his son. Da, 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 da. I'm on section four now. Oh, not bad, not bad, not bad. Oh, Elhams said, happy Sunday. Come join us at 10 a.m. Thank you, Elham. And she has a picture of our communion set up. Very inspirational. Here's some scripture. Some more World Cup. Oh, and... Uh, Here's something that's political. And it's from a pastor that I know. As a matter of fact, this pastor posted six things today on the Lord's Day, all of which were political. 
My Facebook feed was filled with political. My Facebook feed was filled with hatred. My Facebook feed was filled with posturing. My Facebook feed is just filled with division, anger. Not good. It's a little hard to look at some of this stuff and believe that we're passionate about Christ. Right? That we're passionate about Christ. We get real passionate about certain injustices. And, and hear this clearly at the beginning. We should be passionate about injustice. But the challenge that you and I face today is to look at what happened in the town of Ephesus, these events, and say, could this happen today? <laughs> Let me just give it away. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's already happening today. So this morning when we talk about idle threats, let's get into it. Hopefully... My opener was draconian enough to get you salivating. Let's start this morning with the main text, but I want to focus on one key part. We'll break this down into three different segments, but let me focus on one major part. What's happening is Paul is in Ephesus, and we'll see a couple verses here at the beginning that speak to him, uh, sending his, his team back over towards Berea and other places, and and then what happens is, is there's a reaction against what Paul is preaching. There is a reaction because the Lord is having success in a Roman city. In a city that holds to Artemis. Everything has been focused around Artemis. All of their traditions, their lifestyles, their economy is focused around this idol. And when Paul comes and brings the message of the gospel, when he brings the message of Jesus Christ, people start believing because of the Lord's work, and even the community is able to see the threat towards their idol. Even the community is able to see the threat towards their idol. Let me bring out the point. Demetrius was a craftsman. And he gathered individuals together because he saw his business was going to be affected. Here comes this outlier, Paul and his team, and all of a sudden people are believing. Well, if they believe in Jesus Christ, what do they no longer believe in? Where will they no longer go? And what will they no longer need? They're no longer going to need my little trinkets that I make money off of. I often get this question when I talk about us going to uh, Israel. Well, pastor, I don't think it's very safe. And uh, it's interesting, I've been getting this comment for 20 years. And I have yet to find an American, not an American who's living in a kibbutz or, or whatever, but I'm talking about a tourist. I find, I, I, as far as I know, and I monitor it pretty closely, in those 20 years, I've never heard of an American or a tourist being hurt or killed. Do you know why? You can go into the West Bank, you can go into any part of Israel as a tourist, and you will not be hurt. Now, okay, the next thing you know, you're going to hear something, and you're going to say, Pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. But so far, you can do those things, and you're not going to be hurt. Take a wild guess why. Money. Both the Palestinians and the Israelis depend on tourism for a major part of their economy. You are gold to them. And they will make decisions against their own values. Hear me clearly. They will make decisions against their own values and the, the Western Satan in order that they might have money. Let's see how far off we are from Demetrius in Ephesus. Verse 27, And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, my job is going to be phased out. Right? But also that of the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as... Oh, no. 
Demetrius is sitting in his house late at night. He's on his abacus. He's doing the numbers and the projections. He's like, I'm seeing a dip here, and I'm not sure why. Uh, oh, yeah, there's this guy that came in right about when I saw the dip, and he's a threat. I need to stop this. So I'm going to rally the other craftsmen there in, in the stoa, but that's not going to be good enough. So we're going to have to ramp it up. We're going to have to really bring the rhetoric here to really get people to fear and to panic. Because if it's just a couple of us, nothing's going to get done. But if we can raise a riot, if we can raise a crowd, then I can shut this thing down. So let's take it to the level of the great temple of Artemis will be destroyed because of these three guys. You've got to question the power of your God then, Right? So let's look at this this morning. Let's break this down. Let me take you on a little trip through our society. So this was this past week. Um, it's an interesting picture because it, the words are backwards. <laughs> uh, it's just Hebrew. Okay, read it backwards. Uh, there you go. There's the immigration. The top picture here is all about uh, SCOTUS's, I think if I remember that, it's all about the uh, Supreme Court decisions this past week. Two major decisions. One that uh, upheld the uh, travel ban stuff, and uh, the second had to do with something we asked you all to pray about, that we see as a major victory. That, uh, and by the way, our first point that's coming up has to do with rhetoric. Rhetoric, I'll give a definition to it in a minute. AB 775, the past in California, required places like Options for Women that offer uh, uh, ultrasounds that the state said you have to put information about abortions, even though it's against the philosophy of that business, you have to put a placard, and they defined how big it had to be and where it had to be. You have to put that and a number for them to reach to another business that is required or you will get sued and possible jail time. That was AB 775. It passed. And we waited and we waited and we waited to see what would happen. This is what was overturned by the Supreme Court. So that brought out tons of people that start ramping up the rhetoric just like Demetrius, right? That because of this situation, which had to do with a placard that went into places like Options for Women, Roe v. Wade is going to get overturned. You see, you, you see? Now, let me just share with you. I, I would not object to that, but trust me. That is not going to happen because of the decision by SCOTUS. But there are people that understand how to manipulate the crowd, just like Demetrius. Let's look at what else happened this past week. Right? The whole uh, uh, separation of families and immigration thing and all the, all the uh, buildup that's happening there. And what do we do with all of that? And then lastly... Uh, uh, oh, uh, this was going to be my hit right here. There's, there's the Supreme Court. Um, nation in turmoil. How many of you would like to fly back to Ephesus real quick so you can see the places, get a visual of, of where we're talking from the text? Thank you for all raising your hands. That's fantastic. So this is an artist's rendition of the Temple of Artemis. It was tremendous. It was huge. It was a destination place. My wife and I went to the Legion of Honor this past week on our... Uh, on our uh, anniversary because my wife was being immortalized with a statue in the center court and uh, because she's such a work of art. Thank you. Uh, no, we went there and, and we got a little culture in our lives and, and it's just this incredible building and, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of this temple. And it's sitting right there in San Francisco and, and just it's a destination place. People from all over the world gather to come see that place. They may not appreciate all the different art, but they want to gather there because it says something. Same thing was happening in the Mediterranean seaboard with the Temple of Artemis. And a lot of commerce was built around the worship of Artemis. Let's show you some other things. Uh, there it is again. Artist rendition. It probably didn't have that big wide portico. Why do I say that? Because these are the ruins currently. The one on the left is what was the library at Ephesus. Uh, they put a lot of work into their library. And so the ruins on the right are some of the leftover ruins of the Temple of Artemis. Uh, it doesn't look so good right now. They need to 
CBC Church Workday on their temple. So now we're going to get into this idea of the theater. You can see the stoa, which is this right here, or in Roman terms would be called the cardo. And this area here would have been commerce. This is where Demetrius and the guys would have been. And you would have purchased all of your stuff on the way to the Temple of Artemis, which is over here. But we're going to hear all about this theater. Now, the theater you're seeing in this picture was upgraded. They had a, 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 a reboot on their theater somewhere around four centuries. So what you're looking at is somewhat similar to exactly where these events would have happened. But it's a little bigger. All right. So glad I could take you very cheaply halfway around the world and back in time. And uh, this is uh, the same picture, but again, it talks a little bit about that upgrade around uh, 3rd century. And let's get into it. Idle threats, a threatening voice. The Tempest of Rhetoric, 23 through 27. Let's, uh, let's look at this. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Many of you have heard that the early church was called the way. This is that listing of it. It was called the way in certain circles. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered together. By the way, what's interesting is uh, he's a businessman. He's a businessman, and he's bringing the business to the craftsmen. So this is a guy who's really wise right this isn't necessarily the guy making this stuff i mean he is a silversmith but it looks like he's got other guys working for him so he's really invested it's not just like his own business is going to be affected he's got it multiplied out this is the boss these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said men you know that from this business we have our wealth and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. Idle threats. And there is danger not only of this trade of ours, that it may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence she whom all asia and the world worship are you getting the stakes here i mean this is rhetoric it is a tempest of rhetoric our whole way as a matter of fact it's not just us it's the mediterranean is going to be the whole world is going to be ruined because of this guy paul Fascinating. What is rhetoric? It's the usage of language to please or persuade a group. It's not necessarily factual. Rhetoric is often used to manipulate people into where you want them to get because it sounds good. There's not a lot underneath the rhetoric sometimes. Demetrius uses rhetorical arguments connected to economy to raise a riot. Is that happening in our society today? As long as the economy is good, we can accept some travesties from our government. As long as the economy is good. The Ephesians placed a great value in their economy. They were aware that their wealth hinged upon pilgrims and tourists. They placed their greatest value on their pocketbooks. What did the Ephesians, what did Demetrius value the most? Their pocketbooks. And brothers and sisters, there's a reality to that, right? How many of us will make a change in our job because we're going to get more money? How many of us will move somewhere because we can afford a house? Janine and I are moving to Barstow uh, in, in about 18 months. I'm going to suffer for Jesus there. Uh, if you're from Barstow and you're watching this, I'm not really coming. Sorry. Pray, pray for someone else. Uh, how does the economy affect or threaten our values? What decisions do we make personally? What decisions does our government make when it comes to the issue of the economy? 
that is, makes us willing to compromise, just like Demetrius, and he's leading a whole group into compromise. Is this a real thing? Is this a real threat? Are we paying attention now? It's fascinating how some things don't change. The second point is a cautious voice. A cautious voice. The wisdom of silence. Let me take you there. Verses 28 through 34. We'll continue on. So Demetrius has spoken. He's raising up a crowd. And it says, When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! This was their slogan that they were yelling through bullhorns. It was like kind of an instantaneous thing, so they couldn't really sit there and make a rhyming one. Um, you all have heard of keep your rosaries off our ovaries. <laughs> right? If you go to, I mean, and I can go on and on with a, a lot of, right? So there's a lot of thought that goes into a lot of these things. This was spontaneous. They're just like, what do we say? We all need to say something together. What do we say? Great is Artemis! Yeah, that sounded good. And the goddess of Ephesians or whatever. Right? So they all start unifying Demetrius has them. He's got them to unify, and it says they're enraged. Does this sound like America today? So, some things never change. I wonder if CNN was there, filming all this. Luke was. So it says in verse 29, so the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. I can just see this poor Alexander guy. It's like, okay, we got a problem here. Somebody needs to speak. Uh, yeah, Alexander, you do it. Right? My wife and I watched the movie The Darkest Hour with a portrayal of Churchill, and it was fascinating that there was an individual... I think his name is Halifax, that everybody wanted Halifax, and he knew exactly what he was doing on a political level. He was going to offer the sacrificial goat, and that would be Churchill. And he would make it so bad that everybody would follow exactly what Halifax wanted. But in the course of two conversations, it completely backfired on him. Politics is an amazing, weird, confusing power struggle and it's happening right here so you have people uh we need to have a response here yeah alexander said something last week it was really good get him out there right poor alexander probably didn't sign up for this says some of the crowd prompted alexander whom the jews had put forward and alexander motioning with his hand wanted to make a defense to the crowd but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Joe Lacob, the owner of the Warriors, several years ago, made a pivotal decision that brought us multiple championships. He got rid of Monte Ellis. And he traded for a lanky tall Australian named Andrew Bogut. And they had an opening ceremony. I forget what year it was. It might have been 13. And when Joe Lake had picked up the microphone, one of the Hall of Fame greats of all time for the Warriors, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember his name. He's so popular. I mean, he just, no, go way back. His sons play ball. Rick Barry. So Rick Barry's introducing him. And when he gets the microphone, the entire crowd starts yelling, Great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians, for like two hours straight. <laughs> they all rose up in one accord and just started to boo. My wife actually watched the NBA draft 
really getting into this. And when they announced the Golden State Warriors, Adam Silver's up there, and he's getting ready, and they just start booing in one accord, right? Boo! Who could hate the Warriors, right? We're all saying, who could hate the Warriors? Damien, wherever you are, I know you hate the Warriors because you're a Laker fan. But they hate them because they're a threat to their what? Their team. And so Joe Lacob's standing there in 2013, and he's getting booed relentlessly. Rick Barry grabs the microphone. He's Alexander. He grabs the microphone and says, Come on, people. Really? Folks, get an idea of what just happened. Alexander's put out to give a defense. He can't even say anything. And people are whipped into such a frenzy and such a confusion that their response is to for two hours. It would be the equivalent of hearing, Warriors, Warriors. And I'm sitting there like, okay, give them 15 minutes. They'll, they'll die out, right? No. Half hour, no. An hour, no. Two hours, these guys went at it. They are in a frenzy. Wow. We got a problem. We've got a problem. But there's some interesting things that happened here. So you have this threatening voice, the tempest of rhetoric. It all starts because there's a challenge of value system here. Christ came in and became a threat to the ways of tradition and the economy because what they were following was an idol. People were being set free and understood the value of who Jesus is. In reality, the life-changing, transformational power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And people's lives were changing. They saw the real power, not the fake power, not the, the uh, innocuous power of, of Artemis, but something that was really happening within people's lives. And it caught fire. And all of a sudden it is affecting the community and the world. And the world's going to push back. Brothers and sisters, this is what will always happen in the face of true Christianity. The world is going to push back. What will we do? Well, that's why I volley for the interesting part here is use a cautious voice. What I saw this morning on Facebook was not a cautious voice in any way, shape, or form. It was a voice that wants to get in and push back as hard as possible. And we're not necessarily even going to check our facts. We're just going to get stuck in the rhetoric. Because my values are being compromised. This is where we have to start today. The Lord's value system is at enmity with the world's value system. Okay? If, if you walk away with anything today, and you're, you're struggling with the pervasive hatred that's floating around in our society today, just understand, of course this is going to happen. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be connected to the Lord. The world's own worldviews are a conflict with one another. They're fighting each other on these things. The economy happens to be a big part of those elements. But in our context this morning, understand that when you're talking about the value system of Jesus, when you're talking about God's value system, there will always be a pushback because darkness hates what? Light. As a matter of fact, light is the absence of what? Darkness. These two will always be in conflict. So there's your number one takeaway today. And, and we'll get to that, because this essence of saying, why can't we just have peace? There's a reason why. Maybe it's even within our own households why we can't have peace. Because you have different value systems. You value different things. So how do you deal with that? If, if that is a reality, how do you deal with that? Well, I think you use a cautious voice. We see it demonstrated here, the wisdom of silence. There's confusion. There's people being dragged into that theater. Uh, there are people who are rushing. I remember in college, we, <laughs> we, I don't know why I did this. We did this thing down in Westwood. And, and on the weekend, there would be thousands of college-age students right there at the foot of UCLA. And there'd be thousands, especially if there was a good movie coming out. And so we just started doing a thing where you'd be standing on one corner, and we had like maybe 10 people with us, and we would just run to the other corner like something was coming after us. 
And you could watch the other people that were standing on the corner with you be like, what, what? And so they'd run. And pretty soon we would start getting like 100, 150 people just running for no reason. That is the most perfect picture I can give to you of this. People will react without knowing what they're reacting to. I encourage you, don't get caught in that. Be, have the cautious voice. Be the wisdom of silence. It's by no mistake that the Asians sent word and said, Paul, stay home. You're not going to help with this situation. We've got it. We've got it. Yet Paul's probably feeling incredibly responsible for all of it. But the wise voice won in this situation. The wise voice won. My encouragement to you today is let them cheer. Eventually they will weary. I remember being in the West Bank one time in Bethlehem, and I had students there, and there was a young man, college-age student, that was staying where we were staying, and, and so some of my students formed friendships with him. I heard back a couple years later after the last time we were there, and the second intifada was happening. There was huge border skirmishes that were happening. You saw it all on the news between right at the border of Bethlehem and, and uh, Israel. And uh, the story came back to me that this young American teenage guy had wrapped a keffiyeh around his face and walked right into the middle of a skirmish where Palestinians were engaged with the IDF. There's tear gas going, there's rock throwing going, there's rubber bullets going. It is confusion. It is a melee and a cautious voice. A wise individual walked very calmly. An old grandpa, a Palestinian grandpa, walked up, got Ed by the elbow, and he said, you need to come with me. And you got all this craziness, and here, here's this old man escorting out this teenage guy like this, just real slow, right in the middle of this huge barrage of stuff going on. This is that cautious and wise voice saying, this is, and he said, this is not your battle. Stay out. Exactly like what we hear from these Asians saying to Paul, Paul, stay out. It's just going to cause more problems. Brothers and sisters, if you're having turmoil, if, if there are threats going on, things that threaten your value system, be cautious. Get a cautious voice in your life. Be wise. Maybe we need to stay out of the confusion. We need to be wary of getting dragged or rushed into something without prayerfully seeking wisdom and clearly seeing a path forward. Let's look to Christ as we're trying to figure out what to do with this melee, right? Jesus remained silent at his own trial before Pilate. He remained silent. There's something about being silent. We feel compelled that we have to be a voice. But often what happens is when I get to be a voice and I get stuck in the rhetoric, I find out months later there was really nothing behind it and now my credibility is shot. I need to understand fully before I engage. Jesus fully understood what was happening and so he wasn't going to get caught in the fray. And he just stood there quietly because he knew what his business was. So all the noise around him didn't matter. So he didn't engage in it. Jesus remained silent. He refused to get involved in the traps of the Pharisees because of his wisdom. When he spoke, he spoke only to the point of the real issues at hand, which tended to silence the opposition. There's a beauty in truth, is that it will silence the opposition. We're about to see that in closing. There was one time where Jesus spoke and he answered during that Passion Week, and it threw everybody into uh, what the Hebrews affectionately call a conniption fit. Actually, they don't say that. That was my thing. But that was the result. When asked who he was by the high priest at the trial, he said, I am. And they knew exactly what that meant. And that threw the priest and the sub-priest and the clerk for the priest, the guy that was in charge of cooking the bread, whoever was in the room, threw them into turmoil 
and they screamed and they ripped their clothes and they said, what more do we need? He claims to be God. By the way, go to that passage. When you're talking with someone, it's in Mark 14, I believe, when you're talking with someone who wants to deny the deity of Christ, he claimed to be God. And the people there knew he claimed to be God. That's why they were able to put him on the cross. So where does that take us? Well, we see the wisdom of being a cautious voice. In today's political scene, yes, uphold justice. But be careful who you affiliate with. Be careful who you side with. Be careful what you're saying out there because it will divide you. You need to, you need to weigh the risks. What are your values? And are those values worth the division that will come? Sometimes the cautious voice, the wisdom of silence is needed. That takes us to the last point today, a reasoned voice, the power of reason, 35 through 41. This is phenomenal. This guy could run for mayor of any city. Watch what he does. It says in verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, by the way, they were probably exhausted because they're screaming this for two hours. They're, they're begging for someone to stand up and do something. So the town clerk had quieted the crowd. He said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? By the way, you want to know why there was so much mystery, why there was, we had just read about how those individuals had uh, burned a lot of their magical books and things. Here you have the town clerk talking about something falling from the sky. They believed in Roman gods. There would have been this understanding of, of magic and a heightened sense of mystery and, and all of that that's going on. So that the clerk is appealing to the way that all people are, are thinking in this discussion. And he says, Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right? A voice of reason is needed. A voice of reason is needed in our country. A voice of reason is needed in our churches. A voice of reason is needed often in our own households. What is that voice of reason? Well, the town clerk should run for mayor. He steps up and he says, tell me something I don't know. You guys are being idiots. You need to stop. But he waited for the right time. He let them have, he let it all play out. He let the emotion have its day and, and it was somewhat harmless. But eventually he says, y'all need to be quiet before my boss hears you. Because if this happens, someone's going to jail. Right? Stop yelling. Don't do anything rash. I remember taking a friend of mine surfing one time and, uh, I'm not sure that he actually surfed, which is fine. Getting out in the water and paddling around on a board is sometimes just as beautiful, right? Um, I'm out waiting for the next set to come in, and he had taken, tried to take off, and I wasn't really paying attention. He paddles up about a half hour later, and uh, he says, I think I hit a kid. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I, I, was, I was trying to take off on a wave, and there's a boogie board in front of me, and I just kind of bailed out, and I think my board hit him. Like, well, is he okay? Is he, you know, is he drowned? What, you know, and he goes, I don't know. I'm like, okay, you, you might want to know those things. And, and so I just kind of let it go. I'm like, I, well, I, you know, I don't know how long ago this happened. I don't know what to do. I get out. I dry off. I'm sitting on the back of my uh, Isuzu Trooper watching guys uh, riding, and, and up walks Matt. And he's walking up the rocks, and then he gets to the beach area, and then all of a sudden I notice five junior hires gathered around him like Lord of the Flies. And they've all got these sticks, and they're circling him. And he has no clue what's happening. 
has no clue what's happening. And I'm watching what's happening, and I'm like, oh, no. Okay, this guy's going to get beat down, and they're going to get him because he doesn't even know this is about to happen. And so they start talking to him, and he's like, what? What? And he's still not catching on. And I'm, I'm waiting for him to figure out how to dissolve the situation, and it's not going well. So this is all happening about 15, 20 feet away from me. And so I just yelled down, <laughs> I kid you not, I'm probably not the best friend. But I kid you not, I just yelled, just start hitting him. What are you waiting for? Matt's eyes got like this. And uh, the kids are, they're, they're like looking at me like, what? I said, come on, man, don't waste a good party. You guys all have your sticks. Let's go. Start beating on him. And they're all like, they look at each other and they're like, Ugh. And then they walk off. Matt comes up to me, and he just looks at me, he shakes his head, and I said, dude, I just saved your life. Get in the car, and let's get out of here. And the reality was, these kids were not going to hit him. They just needed to show, right? But I didn't know for sure they weren't going to hit him. So the idea was to intimidate to a certain level of rational speaking. Come on, guys, really? You're circling him. Either you're going to hit him, or just put the sticks down and go home, Right? Matt still didn't appreciate the, the reasoning that I used there, uh, but it did work. It did work. In closing, what do we do with all of this? This is an amazing story, and it definitely relates here. Let me encourage you. He waits for the right time, the, the town clerk. Are we waiting for the right time to engage when our values are in conflict with someone, or do we immediately react? If we immediately react, often what's happening there is there's an emotional response. And that's where we get into the rhetorical. That's where we get into the damage. Versus using a cautious and wise voice versus using reasoning. He takes him to the process and he says, we have a process for this. If these guys have done anything wrong, take them to court. Go through the process. He uses the process and he says, we're civilized people. We need to act like it. He puts teeth to the situation. So far, what's been going on is nonstop rhetoric and confusion. And he says, look, here's the reality. This, 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 and this. Now, go home. Because if something needs to be taken care of, it will be in the courts. He used a reasoned response. He puts teeth to the situation. My encouragement to us this morning is as the rhetoric flies around you. These are important issues. Understand this. My greatest encouragement to you today in closing is simply this. The conflict we see here was over values. The value of holding to righteousness and Christ's standard and giving up on, on the idols. And the community saying, wait, this is a threat to our income, to our tradition, and so we need to stop this. Understand that conflict is always going to be happening all around us. Now what do you do with it? You go after it with with rhetoric, with passion, with anger, with demonstration. Jesus, as far as I know, stayed out of the demonstrations. He tried to sneak out the back door. He was concerned about the individual. He was concerned about justice. Without a doubt, if you have questions in your mind about all these topics floating around, I encourage you, we see the conflict here between two value systems. Check your value system. Know what you believe in and why you believe that. And I encourage you to figure out then a way that God provides for you to engage like Christ engaged so there isn't massive conflict. It's okay for us to have conflict of belief systems. Those are reality. Let's see which belief system holds the real truth and real power and let that play out, but let it play out in love. Let it play out in, in sacrifice. Let it play out the way the Lord demonstrated. Let me give you three things. Actually, this is a big part of our problem, right? This is really confusing. I see four, I see three. And you know what's interesting is there's some truth in a lot of these comments. 
a lot of these battles that we're fighting in our society, but we polarize so much that everybody feels isolated and not listened to, and then there's marginalization, and then there's anger, and then there's fighting. We need to get as a nation, as a people, as God's people, as a church, to a point where we can love an individual in spite of the fact that their value system is different than our own. Amen? Because Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Let me give you a couple things to, to walk away with. We see these things today out of the message. Conviction, devotion, occupation. These are invested and expensive words. How so? Well, let's start with your Christ. He valued righteousness. In John 14, 27, he said, Peace I bring to you, peace I will give you, right? Well, we love that. That plays out really well. But in Matthew 10, 35-37, he says, I will divide your household. Mothers against daughters, fathers against sons. Why? Because if you choose to follow me, there will be a whole new set of values. And there are those that those values trump over, those go beyond your traditions. And your traditions will be threatened somewhat because of all of this. And so the challenge for us is to understand that and to say it will be Christ first. And we will love as Christ loved those who didn't necessarily hold to his values. Secondly, your community values idols. By the way, you value an idol. I don't know if you realize this. An idol simply means the very thing you worship. Isn't it interesting that in the Ten Commandments it says you shall have you know, no idols, right? But he also says you shall have no other gods. God recognized himself as that thing that is worth worshiping. Idols are those things that we worship. What do we have in our life that becomes a distraction that we idolize that compromises our value system, that puts us in conflict? Understand that our community values other things. When you get tied into these conversations, when you get tied into these conflicts, understand very simply one person sees four the other person sees three and stay calm and just speak with a reasoned voice about these things and use it as an opportunity to share the peace of god trust me in a vacuum will not peace be recognized because brothers and sisters the society you and i are in now is tumultuous so when someone walks up and there's peace within them, guess what? They bring the voice of credibility to the conversation. People want to know why this person has peace. How about we take that into the rhetoric? Your church. Well, your church, if you name this as your church, values Christ and community. Number one, we value Christ, and so we espouse His value system. But secondly, we know that He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart right soul mind and strength but he says love your what neighbor as yourself i have the privilege of announcing to you this morning that our church is part of moving forward in its next era will be hosting a national conference in november there will be people coming from all over the united states to this conference and your denomination the evangelical free church of america sees the immigration challenge as something the church needs to speak to we cannot be silent we cannot be blind about it oh everybody's tightening up right now in the room you should only see your faces years ago i went out years three three years ago i went out to the east coast there's an individual in our church in in, in the free church that has started something called um, All Peoples. And it's the effort to have the Evangelical Free Church address the issue of uh, ethnicity, multi-ethnic churches, the issue of um, segregation and, and the problems of the, the community perceiving the church to only be concerned about certain traditions and all of those things and, and wrestling with very tough questions. One of the things that started as a result of this is Alex Mendez started a, uh, a very tangible and informative and strong approach to answer this very complicated issue of immigration. 
and he started a uh, uh, ministry, but it really is uh, mechanical in essence. It's not necessarily to the churches. It's to our communities. It's to nonprofits. It's to corporations. And it's a lot of lawyers that attend these. It's called Immigration Hope. And for a week, Immigration Hope is going to come here, and they're going to train, whether it's church lay leaders, pastors, lawyers, community leaders, um, uh, corporation uh, leaders, nonprofit leaders, in how to create a pathway of legal citizenship and help individuals that the church can step up and be part of the process of helping and how to formulate a uh, Christ-like attitude towards what is happening on this level and, and to address all of this issue. And I'm proud to say our church is hosting this. I encourage you, if you are highly concerned, what are we getting into there's a great article by the EFCA that came out this week. Email me and I'll send you a link. And you can see exactly what we're talking about. But we are going to be involved on these levels here at your church. We are divided by what we value. And as long as dark and light are in competition, we're stuck with these challenges. So... My encouragement to you today is stick to your values, but act as Christ acted. Represent Christ, not political or tradi traditional opinions. Let me close in prayer, and then I'm going to have the worship team come on up. Father, thank you for the blessedness of what was recorded in Scripture today, uh, or, or what was recorded in Scripture that came into our scope today. These are challenging areas, Father, and... So many churches across the United States become divided on these issues because of what we value. Father, I pray first and foremost here at Concord Bible Church that we value your righteousness, your focus, your approach. And that we're able to leave behind traditions, political attitudes, uh, all of those things. We care about justice because you care about justice. But as we see, Father, you were at work when a whole crowd was raised and people could have been easily killed. You won the day. And you spoke through a non-believer to win the day. And the church was built and became one of the largest churches in the second century in Ephesus. You won the day. So thank you, Father, that we have cautioned voices. Thank you that we have reasoned voices. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit in your scripture to help guide us, inform us, so that we can be wise instruments of discernment for your word. We pray for our country this week. We pray that you move forward and you help heal the damages. We pray against the injustices that are happening. We pray that you raise up individuals that will have a reasoned voice. But I also pray protection over this body that we do not divide over the rhetoric that's roaming around all around us, but that we see you first. Thank you, Father. We trust you in all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.